everybody. Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall. We're in the holiday season. We're past Christmas. I hope that you had a fantastic Christmas with your family, and I'm looking forward to New Year's coming up. In this episode today, we've got Tina Wilson. She's a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. She's also a church planner, Bible teacher, author, and advocate for all-in family ministry. She shares with us today how her church went through a period of growth and success, but then faced a bitter root of discord that threatened to divide the entire congregation. She says intentional relationships with other women in the church really helped them navigate this challenging situation and ultimately strengthened their unity and support for one another. That's a fantastic story. I can't wait to dive in with you. Everybody, this is Tina Wilson. Let's let her speak into us and give us some encouragement today. Enjoy the episode, everybody. Good morning. We are going to talk about in this session intentionality in relationships and So I want to just share with you all to start us off about an experience that I've been through in the last year and a half where I've learned a lot about the necessity of intentionality in relationships. But to bring me to this experience, I need to first give you my context. So my husband and I planted a church nine years ago, and it started with a small group of people who were just meeting in our home for fellowship and discipleship nine years ago. On June the 1st, 2014, we moved to a college campus and we were a mobile church. We were a mobile breakdown setup for four years. So we had our last service in that college auditorium on December the 9th, 2018. There were about 250 people there. We moved the next week into a ground-up community center that our church had built. And on December the 16th, 2018, one week later, almost 800 people showed up. And so the church nearly quadrupled in size in one week. And it was just the beginning of an explosion for us. Our church continued to grow for the next four years. We even thrived through COVID. By 2022, we had bought two more buildings. We had completed two more construction projects. And we were in the planning phases for our biggest expansion yet, which we're currently finishing now, a new worship center that has four times the current seating capacity that we've got in our existing facility. So everything was just all up and to the right. I mean, it was all just so good. And often I would think, why, how? Why is God writing such an outlier story in this church plant that was just in our living room a few years ago? And this may sound naive, but I sincerely believed that we were operating in such unity that we had just hit a John 17 stride. Brandon referred to John 17 in his talk. Jesus, when he was praying for all believers, for you and for me, he prayed to God and said, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And I just thought, we're all so united around this common mission and purpose We are bearing such fruit in our evangelism because we're operating in such an uncommon unity, and it's allowing God to do a really uncommon thing. That's what I truly believed about our church. And in the midst of this seven-year up and to the right track, a bitter root began to grow. Anybody had a bitter root ever spring up in your church? 
Well, that's because bitter roots are a problem in the community of God's people, right? It was a problem way back when Moses had to warn the Israelites about it in Deuteronomy 29. He said, make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. And then when the Hebrew writer had to warn the New Testament church about it also, he said, see that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So from this bitter root that grew up in our beautifully united church, it, it grew into a faction who first stirred discontent and disagreement. And then that escalated quickly into contention and aggression and even hostility that was really targeted at my husband, who is our pastor, and at me and at my children. And I was absolutely blindsided by it. Uh, it just completely stopped me in my tracks. And I want to remind you that, that my track was a John 17 stride. Not only was our church growing exponentially, but I was working on my master's. I had just authored a book that was now in the editorial process. And I was given a platform to share the word of God in farther and larger places than I had ever dreamed possible. And I was just all of a sudden stopped and I felt like the bottom fell out. And when it happened, Satan told me that the unity I believed we had was all a sham. He told me that I was in over my head and I was trying to play outside of my league. And the most devastating lie that he told me in this process was that I was all alone in it. Now, because this bitter root grew into an orchestrated, organized attempt to split our church, it required the involvement of our elders and our deacons who had to work through some church disciplinary processes. And it was that part of this that God used to expose my glaring deficiency in relationships. Because all of the leaders who had to come in and deal with this, they had wives, our deacons and elders' wives. And while I was just working away in this great unity, being on mission, I realized I had assumed a unity existed, but it was a unity that I had done nothing intentional to actually cultivate. So in the throes now of this concerted attack against my character, the wives of key leaders in our church who I would have expected to surround me and support me and align with me, they weren't really even sure how to engage with me. And it was because they didn't actually know me. And so I knew I had to change this. And it had to start with some really honest self-reflection. And I sat with my husband and he said, why have you neglected to build intentional relationships with these women in our church? And so I had to think about that. Now, on one hand, I just hadn't chosen to prioritize my time that way. But here's the answer that I really needed to look at that I didn't want to admit. I had been afraid to ask them to prioritize their time that way. I thought, well, what if they see me as a burden? What if I invite them into relationship with me and they feel like this is just an unnecessary obligation and we're going to have to say yes because she's our pastor's wife? So if you're sitting in that space right now where you know that there's an intentional relationship you need to go after and you're feeling those insecurities, I want to encourage you to push through them. That's what I had to do. I had to push through fear and insecurity 
but I had to do it from a place of total desperation. And if we can do this before we get to that place of total desperation, it probably will go a lot better. But for me, I needed to be known. And and truly, I needed to rediscover my own identity in a season when my character had been so maligned that I felt like I was losing touch with who I actually was. And so in that desperation, I reached out. I invited these 10 women into a small group with me where we could fellowship together. And their responses were immediate and enthusiastic. The response I got from them basically said, we've been sitting here waiting for you to ask us. And so I just want to encourage you with that to start us off. If there's something that you're neglecting, a relationship that you're neglecting because maybe you fear asking people to commit more of their time, you just never know until you ask if they're waiting on this to happen. So the very next week, they were so enthusiastic, the very next week, we started meeting and I started cultivating an intentional relationship with each of these women. That's been about a year and a half ago and we're still walking together weekly today. I met with them on Tuesday and I said, I'm leaving tomorrow to go speak at this conference. I would like for you all to pray for me. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, oh, all of you. My talk is gonna be about you ladies. So we are now a group of families who can call on one another uh, for support. We can celebrate victories. We can mourn losses. We pray for our children and our grandchildren together. And if ever we have a scenario where division arises in our church again because motives are questioned or character is defamed or hostility is targeted, we can all stand together as sisters who see and know one another. And what's amazing is in this small group, we've never had to dwell on or really even discuss at length the depth of the spiritual battle that went on in our church that our husbands had to take on. But because even without having to dig into it, we've healed together through it, Now we have these matching battle scars that testify to the fight that we've won. And that's a really unique space that I believe God creates in the local church when we're down in the trenches cultivating relationships with others in the body is that we're fighting a spiritual war together. And when we come out of that and my battle scars match your battle scars, that creates something really special that enables us to take the next hill wherever God's going to lead us. As for me, what this scenario taught me is that Satan's lies about um, isolation and rejection didn't have any basis because intentionality in these relationships exposed his deceit. See, the enemy of our souls wants to keep us from intentionality in relationships because here's what he knows, that Christ-centered community is the fertile ground where love grows. I wanna make sure you heard that. Christ-centered community is the fertile ground where love grows. So think about Satan's attack on Jesus. Here's what it looked like. In the hours just before Christ's betrayal and arrest, Satan was hard at work. He wanted to discourage and isolate and defeat Jesus. But what Jesus was doing during those final moments was fellowshipping with and serving and instructing his disciples. Here's what he said to them, John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Now, I think it's so interesting here that Jesus says, love one another is a new command because it was not a new command. The law of Moses has commanded that people love one another, love their neighbor as themselves. But even though it was an old command, I think Jesus is retooling it here because through his own intentionality and relationships, he's now modeled very practically for them what this looks like. It's new because you've seen it lived out and you have a way to follow it because he invited his disciples, who he's saying these words to, into this walk-along, talk-along relationship. He instructed them. He modeled what he was saying. He dialogued. He debriefed. He equipped them for ministry through a whole lifestyle of watching and listening and learning and going and doing and reproducing. And now they've seen what it looks like to practically love one another in that way. My own experience that I've been through And Jesus' own example here teaches me this, that no matter how sold out we are for the kingdom of God, if we're allowing our single-mindedness for the mission to be an excuse for us to neglect relationships with people, we will ultimately lose our stride, no matter how good it looks. So I want us to consider one more biblical example we have here, God's prophet Elijah. So I love Elijah, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. God equipped him to speak his word to the people and the kings of Israel. So you know his story, right? After Elijah has called down fire from heaven and he has defeated the prophets of Baal and he's announced the end of a three and a half year drought, after being God's conduit for the greatest spiritual and physical national victories that they had ever seen, he ran away. And he went and hid in a cave and he asked God to take his own life. His stride was totally broken. But watch this. God then comforts him, right? He displays his awesome power through a mighty wind, through a violent earthquake, through a blazing fire. He did these big, mighty, terrific things that looked amazing, but it wasn't in those grand displays that God actually met with Elijah and ministered to him. It was in a still small voice, and it was a voice that said to him, you are not alone. This isolation that you're feeling is a lie from the enemy. He said, there are others. There's a whole community of God's people. When Elijah thought that he was the only one left, God said to him, there are kings and prophets who are going to keep on carrying out my commission. But watch this. He said, Elijah, now you go connect with them. You've got to come out of this space of isolation and you've got to be intentional about going after those relationships. See, just because God had reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees hadn't bowed to Baal and whose mouths hadn't kissed him, that didn't mean that it wasn't going to be essential for Elijah to actually go seek them out and cultivate relationship. First Kings 19, 19 said, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. I think there's so much power in that, that even though Elisha wasn't looking for Elijah, he found him and he intentionally put his mantle on him. Do you see what he's doing there? He is calling him into discipleship. And what then was the the fruit of this proactive intentionality to step out of isolation, 
of feeling like, okay, God, you've done all these great things, and now I'm all by myself. I'm all alone. He steps out of that, and he goes and cultivates relationship. Well, here's what it meant. It meant that Elisha now had a successor who was going to carry on all this great work that God was doing, and he was going to do it with a double portion of the Spirit that had been operating in him, double the miracles that he had seen. So I think the same principle told true for us. I believe that our intentional investment in relationships with people encourages faithfulness, it strengthens perseverance, and it ensures a future for the work of God. So through this this experience that I went through, an eye-opening moment for me was when a woman who was my friend and had, had wanted to defend me when she had heard my character being defamed, when she had heard people accusing me of being prideful and distant and too driven and not relational. She said, Tina, I tried to tell them you're misjudging her. Tina's just on mission. She's always been that way ever since I've known her. And, you know, I appreciated her assessment. I do think that's always been my intention since I was baptized into Christ at 18 years old. My greatest desire has just been to live a life that was 100% sold out for the mission of Christ and committed to his word. But here is what God has shown me as he has matured me, that a life lived on mission has to be accomplished through intentionality in relationships and not in lieu of it. Because it's the context in the context of Christ-centered relationships that that mission we're all living for is truly nurtured and advanced and enduring. That's all we've got for the episode today, everybody. And since this is actually the last episode of 2023, I just wanted to say on behalf of everybody at discipleship.org, Thank you so much for being a listener of this podcast. It means a lot that you guys are just so loyal to listening to each episode that we put out. And I can tell that it encourages you and that it helps you and probably challenges you in a lot of ways in the way that it does me. And that's just just so encouraging to us uh, here at discipleship.org. So thank you for doing that. And I'd like to ask you in the new year, if you can think of somebody in your life, whether it's a lay minister or maybe it's a lead pastor somewhere, worship leader, whatever, that's not discipleship focused, would you share this podcast with them? Would you send them a link and say, hey, check this podcast out and explain to them what it's meant to you in your life and how it's helped you. We would really appreciate you doing that. We'd love to see the Lord grow this podcast and to spread that territory that He can use for this podcast. So thank you in advance for doing that. And y'all, I hope that you have a wonderful new year. I hope that in 2024, you will begin to see fruit in your life and in the areas and the people that you've been pouring into and investing and discipling. I really hope and pray that you will be able to see growth and that you'd be excited about that growth and that God would just continue to bless you. All right, y'all. Thanks again for listening and God bless you and enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you.